Monday, everyone. Welcome to the Colby Daniels podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products. When you visit the website, abotanicalcompany.com, use the checkout code Colby Show, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W, Colby Show, to save 15% off your online order. Again, abotanicalcompany.com, easy to navigate, easy and safe pickup. So order online. Colby Show is the discount code for 15% off your online order at Artisan Botanicals, abotanicalcompany.com. Okay, so uh, crazy uh, news, I guess, today as far as Oklahoma, Florida getting ready for the Cotton Bowl on Wednesday. Aaron Davis is my guest, and as we were, as we were recording the episode today, uh, we got, I don't know how far into the episode, when the Grimes opt-out news took place, so we like adjusted uh, talking about OU Florida from the Grimes perspective. And then the Kadarius Tony news broke and we adjusted again. And look at this point, uh, as we stand now, no Kyle Pitts, no Trayvon Grimes, no Kadarius Tony for Florida. I've not seen anything as far as Kyle Trask and him being available for the cotton bowl or not. I don't know what he would have to prove in this game, uh, especially considering all of his, his weapons are gone. Uh, so we'll see what happens with Kyle Trask, and maybe maybe there's an announcement sometime soon as far as his availability. Uh, but as it stands now, that's where we are as I, I finish recording this thing for today. But uh, yeah, I think a lot of the sizzle with this Oklahoma-Florida matchup is gone considering uh, the players that have opted out. And you know, I think all of a sudden this kind of becomes a situation where what does Oklahoma have to gain in this thing? If they beat Florida, I, I think it's kind of expected without all these key players for the Gators. If they lose, it's a really bad loss. It, it kind of becomes a no-win situation for Oklahoma as far as that front goes. But I don't know. We'll see how everything changes over the next 48 hours. And and I, I, I'm kind of speechless, honestly, um, considering the opt-outs and just what I was expecting from this matchup versus at least as of now, what we're going to see on Wednesday. So uh, anyway, take that into account. Obviously, we have Thunder basketball tonight, tomorrow night. Uh, Thunder right now sit atop the Western Conference. Standings at 1-0, the only undefeated team in the Western Conference, uh, having played just one game. But uh, what a game winner for Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And uh, the Thunder getting ready for a back-to-back tonight and tomorrow night. Uh, Oklahoma State tomorrow against Miami. We'll talk about that game and preview that game tomorrow. Uh, obviously, Wednesday, we will have pregame coverage for this Cotton Bowl matchup with Oklahoma and Florida beginning at 5 o'clock with Mike Steely. So, um, again, stay tuned for that. Uh, you know, obviously, like I just said, I think some of the sizzle with this matchup is gone considering the opt-outs and just the, the Oklahoma defense-Florida offensive matchup that we were all looking forward to. So, here is today's episode with my guest, Aaron Davis. Aaron Davis, it is uh, several days past Christmas. We're in that that weird week between Christmas and New Year's where it's like kind of a holiday week, but it's not. People still have to go to work, but like everybody's still kind of in the like awkward middle ground of, of the two major holidays with New Year's and Christmas. It's funny. It's a funny week. Yeah, it still feels like uh, it still feels like the Christmas to me yeah. this week, and I'm like, all right, so like it's still a holiday. Is this cool, man? Like, but not really. It's just like we're back to normal life. It's essentially the other 51 weeks of the year at this point. Yeah, although like you do have a little bit of that like holiday hangover, but there's the bounce back really quick because at the end of this week, again, a lot of people have New Year's Day off. New Year's Eve is 
even if you're not like out celebrating on the town, it's still, I think, considered a holiday and, you know, people are, are making their arrangements for whatever. So yeah, it's the, the, the way that people navigate this week between Christmas and New Year's is always interesting to me. Yeah. Uh, I, to me, it's always been Christmas is the holiday. And then like college football is the holiday a week from then. I don't like New Year's to me is just kind of, it's whatever. Like, I don't, I, I don't really give, you know, a damn of it. It's like another year. Like the year number has changed. I'm just getting older and closer to dying. So why am I going to celebrate, you know, the calendar turning over? (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to celebrate some college football. That's what I'm going to celebrate. There you go. Yeah. I'm excited. Rose Bowl. I'm excited for the Rose Bowl in Texas. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, Oklahoma, both Oklahoma teams obviously play before New Year's, but we right. still still get the day off, wake up, and watch. Uh... Well, never mind. I was going to say there were some fun games on New Year's Day, but apparently there's not this year. Well, the semifinals. Oh, the semifinals. Okay. I'm looking at the bowl schedule, and they had those at the top. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it was out of order. Okay, yeah. No, sign me up for the, the, the semifinal games, but I was just like, they had like uh, the Cincinnati and Georgia and Auburn and Northwestern. Yeah, were the only New Year's Day games they had in the uh, calendar. So I was like, Ugh. Uh, Georgia yeah. Cincinnati doesn't do anything for you. Uh, not really. I think uh, I, I think Georgia is like a good team. They're not great. Like I think like nine or ten is right where they should be. Yeah. And I think they're just still going to slaughter Cincinnati. I could be wrong, but. I just I I think that uh, since JT Daniels took over, they're a little bit better offensively, and they're probably just going to roll through Cincinnati. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I, I like that we are about to put 2020 in the rear view, and the, it's kind of funny because like nothing's really going to change a week from now. Everything's still going to be like obviously disrupted and not the same as it was before COVID. But like I think everybody's just like let's just end 2020 and start something fresh. I'm almost disappointed that I'm not going to be able to be like, oh, 2020. Like, if anything bad happens next week, like, I can't just blame 2020 for it, right? Because that's, right. like, what we've all come to to do over the last several months is, like, anything bad happens, it's like, oh, 2020 again. I, I do think there's going to be a significant reduction in people saying, oh, this next year, that's my year. <laughs> I'm doing big things in 2021. <laughs> yep, that's my year. Calling it right now. New Year's resolutions – uh, I'm gonna. I, it's gonna be my year. Hope. I, I assume people are just about. You know what? Hopefully, it just doesn't suck. Well, yeah. That's. I'm gonna disagree with you though. I think people are gonna be like, you know what? 2020 is gonna be completely different. We're gonna turn it around. I think. I think <laughs> the calendar change springs hope for the masses. Yeah, well, I guess I guess it's all about perspective, right? Yeah. If your 2020 was so bad that like getting a three yard gain on first down is gonna be like a W for you, there you go. Then, you know, perspective, I guess. It's better than taking an eight yard sack, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you mentioned the bowl games, and that's kind of where I wanted to start. Bowl games are funny to me because, like, in the grand scheme of things. You know, we always kind of argue, like, how meaningful are they? And while I don't think bowl games are completely meaningless, I do think they drive narratives sometimes that that may not necessarily be true. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah. I, I think a lot of people, myself included, I, not as much in the last couple of years, but like really put a lot of stock into bowl games. But I mean, first off, the, the teams are so different from the last game they played in the regular season, the bowl game now with so many ki- kids opting out of the bowl games that I, I don't even know that it really gives a true like barometer on what these teams really were this season and when they match up. And it's just one game, and most teams – this year was a little different because the season's ended so long, but a lot of teams have like three to four weeks to prepare for these games. Like I think it's just kind of – yeah. you got to take bowl games with a grain of salt, but it's it's very easy to get tied into you know the matchups and the results of the games. But at the end of the day, I don't think that – like like Texas beating – was it uh, Georgia a few years ago in the Sugar Bowl? Like, right. We got caught up in that all, big time that offseason – Hell, Texas fans are still caught up in that, uh, thinking that that's going to get them over the hump and get them back into being relevant in college football. But, yeah, it the matchups sometimes are just so juicy that it's hard not to get caught up in these narratives that they create. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think, like, I don't necessarily think that all bowl narratives are are garbage. But I think, like, for example it's really easy to maybe look at a conference like bowl record, for example, and whether they do good or bad, just like make your end all be all opinion of that conference, you know, based on like they were really good because they won all these bowl matchups or they were really bad because they lost all these bowl matchups. Like so much of the matchups in general are about matchups. Like your best team may be just, you know, facing the best team in the country and your second best team, you know, like, I don't know. You you can get in some matchup situations where uh, I think the Big Twelve was in this case a year ago. Like I'm not trying to make the statement that the Big Twelve a year ago was good by any means because because they weren't. But like when when the matchups were released last year, I remember thinking like the Big Twelve might win a game, like one bowl game because the matchups were so bad for them. And you know Texas was one of the the ones that we didn't expect to to beat uh, Utah last year, but. Like I, I don't, I don't necessarily think all the time that bowl records are representative of how good or bad your conference was. Obviously, there are always a lot of things in play with like guys opting in or out. I will say this: I, I think the Oklahoma Florida game is really interesting for the simple fact that there are several narratives I think that will be uh, punctuated off of how this game is played and the outcome and what is talked about next season, whether it's fair or not. That's that's like my whole point of this. Whether these narratives are fair or not, this is a narrative-driven sport, and the Florida-Oklahoma game on Wednesday is going to solidify either the SEC is still like the supreme conference in the country or that the that the Big 12 and, and specifically Oklahoma's defenses uh, are getting better. So it's funny to me how like maybe that game shouldn't tell us either one of those things, but I think the overall impression is going to be either one of those two things. Yeah, I real quick on the, uh, the you know like Texas because you mentioned nobody thought Texas would beat Utah last year. Uh, nobody thought they would beat Georgia. I would assume uh, in the Sugar Bowl a couple of years. Tom Herman's three and zero at Texas in his bowl games, and he's wow. lost. Tw- he's lost. Uh, let's see, 10, 15, 18 regular season games in four years. So I I, I think that like kind of just goes to show you that these games are completely different than a regular season game because of things I mentioned a few minutes ago, but the Georgia and the Oklahoma game going back to that. Um, I, I think that I, I think it is interesting to 
weigh that because Oklahoma and Florida are arguably I mean, don't ask uh, Texas A&M fans, but I would say that they're probably – Oklahoma obviously is the best team in the Big 12, and Florida's probably the second best team in the SEC this year. So you're going to get a pretty good barometer of top teams in this matchup with those conferences. I, I, I don't think that – like if you get a matchup with like uh, Arkansas is playing – who's Arkansas? Arkansas is a bowl game, I think. TCU. I, I don't think that Arkansas and TCU are – I don't think that's necessarily a matchup that you should put a lot of stock into right. the conferences being – Right, comparable or who's better than who because it's college football. Like we all know that these conferences are judged by the teams at the top. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And again, like part of this for me is, for example, like Florida's without Kyle Pitts, who I think is one of the top five to ten best players in all of college football. I would be shocked if he's not a top 10 pick in the NFL draft next year. I think he's also a guy that would have given Oklahoma big problems in this matchup if he had been there. Yeah. Uh, and and I'm just giving you one example. Trey Brown for Oklahoma is also out. And and look, while he's not nearly the same player that Kyle Pitts is, I think he you could say that maybe he's equally as important to that defense, uh, or or if not equal, it, it's, it's certainly not a long way away considering you know, the, the cornerback play and the secondary and just the consistency level that he has, has brought all year long. Um, I, you just, you're operating without key pieces in a matchup like this, where at the end of the day, this isn't a playoff game. There's, there's not a lot on the line. I'm not saying these guys aren't going to try. Um, but you also have this, like everybody goes home for Christmas. You come back for two days before you're going to kick this thing off. Like, it's just a lot of weird factors that, I, I find it hard to maybe watch this game on Wednesday night and walk away from it either way saying, well, Oklahoma still doesn't play good defense or the Oklahoma defense is is incredible. Now, obviously, they could show us something on Wednesday night to give us that impression. I, I'm not trying to pretend that that can't happen, but I don't think it's just one of those, like, we go into it expecting that we're going to walk away with a narrative this way or that way depending on who wins or loses the game, so to speak. Yeah, and Pitts. By the way, I don't think there's a I don't think there's a defense that Pitts wouldn't be a nightmare matchup for. So yeah. that's definitely that's definitely no indictment on the OU defense. Like he would, right? He's, no defense has figured him out all year. But yeah, I, let me. Do you think? Okay, so if you had to match them up, do you think if they? If they played ten times, who who would you side with? You think this is like a, fi- a coin flip matchup between Florida and Oklahoma? I think it's a really good matchup. I I think that Oklahoma is more physical on the line of scrimmage on both sides of the football. So I would say that over the course of ten games, I would favor the Sooners to win. That's not to say that Florida can't win or that Florida doesn't possess the offensive arsenal to to create problems because they do. Um, I, I, I think this is going to be a good game, in fact. Uh, but yeah, I think over the course of 10 games, generally the team that is able to dictate the line of scrimmage is going to win more often than not. And I think Oklahoma is the better team on both sides. The irony of what you just said. I know, right? Dude, when's the last time we talked about a Big 12 team being more physical than the line of scrimmage right. than an SEC team? It's but that's, that's why this game is so interesting because this game and the way it plays out and the outcome is going to allow either one narrative or the other to kind of take hold, and that's what people are going to point to, 
right? Like you will, you will, if you're a big 12 defender or you're an Oklahoma defense defender of, of that narrative, this game is going to give you proof that what you've been saying is either right or wrong. Same thing for, you know, if you're the SEC and you're, and everybody's talking about better, better offenses, defenses have taken a step back. Like if, if they're able to completely dominate Oklahoma, then, you know, all the people that are saying, well, yeah, the offenses are better, but that's just, you know, that, that, like there are excuses it, yeah. made for why the SEC is playing a similar style to the Big 12, but why they're not the Big 12, right? So like, I think from a from a matchup standpoint and a narrative standpoint, this game has a lot on the line. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of people too get too caught up on the uh, the top team. So like, we watch Alabama have like an amazing defense that dominates everybody, and you just assume that because like the top two or top three teams and like the SEC have great defenses that that's just how they play in the conference. Right. But in reality, Vanderbilt's defense is terrible or, you know, Kentucky's defense or South Carolina's defense is terrible. We just, I, and, and it's tough because the top teams are the ones that matter in college football. Like they're, they're the ones that we watch a lot. They're the ones that dictate the landscape of college football. So it's easy. And I, th- I think it's a little reasonable to get caught up in those, but it doesn't necessarily play the, paint the actual picture for the entire conference. So like, like the big 12 defense is being bad last year or the last couple of years. I think Iowa state's defense last year was pretty good. Like there were a couple of good defenses last year in the big 12, but Great. because Oklahoma's defense was so bad, uh, especially in that LSU game, we just kind of chalk it up to, you know, all defenses are bad or you can go back. I mean, of course you could go back further to when OU's defense was bad, like throughout the regular season. And, you know, we everybody watches them and says, "Well, if Oklahoma is winning all winning the conference every year, and their defense is bad, then every defense has to be bad." But in reality, you know, maybe OU's offense was just light years ahead of everybody else. So, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know, it'll be a fun matchup. I think that uh, I'm definitely interested to see what the defense can do uh, in the, in this game. I I want to see the offense for OU kind of step up and and play a big game because there's just so many young pieces on that team. And I think that for the first time in probably like 10 years, if not longer, the offense was probably the weaker side at OU. Oh, not that they absolutely. were bad. Yeah, absolutely. Not that they were bad, but, you know, like. They're just inconsistent. Th- right. Yeah. I mean, they're, and they're young. Like, you've got a redshirt freshman throwing touchdowns to a true freshman. And, you know, Ramondre Stevenson was out for essentially half the year. So, you know, you're working with a lot of young dudes. So I, I, I want to see the offensive line play well. I want to see, you know, Marvin Mims and, and Spencer Rattler have a good game. Like, I, I'm watching the offense to, to play big uh, against this team just because they've been the lesser side of the football team for this year. And then, obviously, like I, I we talked about it last week, like, it's a good litmus test to see if that OU defense is legitimately good or if the Big 12 offenses were just bad this year. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and look, I, I'm not going to pretend to to say that I don't think like Florida's going to score points or like we kind of talked about this a little bit last week, but like Florida could easily score 35 points in this game, and you could walk away from it saying that the Oklahoma defense played a, a you know a decent game. Like it's it's I think sometimes we look at these point totals and get carried away in terms of how we evaluate a defense. And and I'll give an example like the Iowa State Big Twelve Championship game. Like, the Oklahoma defense played terrific, and they gave up late points, yes. 
how much of that was on the defense and how much of that was like the time of possession situation where they were on the field all day long and you could right. you could see them physically wearing down in that second half. I, I you know, again, I, I, I don't think, like I didn't take away anything from the defense or how good they are when they started to wear down in the second half and Iowa State was able to hit some big plays. Uh, that's, I mean, that's just the, the nature of football and that's how it works. So like in this game, for example, I, Florida has really good playmakers. They have next-level playmakers. They're going to score points in this game. Where, what I'm looking for is, like, is this going to look like LSU a year ago where they literally score, like, every possession or look like they can score every possession? Or will, like, they hit some big plays like we expect, but Oklahoma's also going to force some punts? Like, is it going to be, like, a 50-50 type thing where, you know, big play for Florida this drive and then Oklahoma makes them punt the next drive? Or is it something where they just move the football methodically every single time they possess it. Like, those are the things that I kind of look for in terms of, of how you evaluate a group because, you know, you're, you're what if your offense fumbles the ball twice on their own 10 and your defense has its back against the wall no in chance, the red zone yeah. twice? Like, do we, do we basically say the defense is terrible for giving up those points? Uh, the answer is no. So... You know, I think I, I, it's it's all in context, I think, of, of how the game is actually played versus just the, you know, the point total at the end or something like that. But look, I, I for, my, for, for me, the expectation with that Oklahoma defense is that they're going to get some stops in this game. They're going to harass Kyle Trask and, and they're not going to allow Florida to just go up and down the field every possession. But I'm also not like naive enough to think that you know, they're just going to be so good that Florida's not able to put anything together. Kadarius Tony is a problem. Like, he's going to get the ball in space a couple times in this game and, and wreak havoc on the Oklahoma defense. And, and Grimes, the other the other receiver, who I think is is really undervalued, is going to make some big plays in this game. And, and look, they've not faced anybody that's as talented as Kyle Trask this year. So in, in the situations where they're not getting pressure, he's, he's going to make them pay, I think. I, I've gotten to the point where... Because football, the, the spread offense and the rules kind of you know favor the offense. I've gotten to the point where I try to judge defenses in in college and in the NFL the same way that I would judge a hitter in baseball. Where if they if the offense has ten drives and you know you're you're hitting three hundred and like thirty percent of the snaps, you're making good positive plays. Hell, and if you hit a double or a home run, which would be like, you know, a big sack or a turnover, like right. those are going to hold a lot of weight. So, like, I don't expect a defense at this point to go 10 for 10 in a game. Yeah. Especially when you're playing a good team like in Oklahoma or Florida or, you know, Aaron Rodgers or Pat Mahomes. Like, give me like 30 to 40% of the plays that you're making a positive play on defense. And, like, I think that's a good performance because we've seen so many games where. There could be like I did the bowl game last year with o, OU and LSU. I would say like OU's defense made a positive play. What one out of every twenty snaps? Yeah, or something like that. Like it was, it was bad. It was brutal. And like you could go back to the Alabama OU semifinal game. I think it was probably the same situation there. So like, I yeah, fifty like fifty percent. Like that's I think you're playing an amazing game on defense at that point. And you know if you give up a couple of big plays like. That's that's acceptable if you force the to go three and out on the next three drives. Like, I I think that we just have to judge defenses a little bit more leniently than we did twenty years ago, just because you know, just the, in the rules, the rules are so much favorable. Like, <laughs> did you see the uh, the roughing the passer call that Baker got yesterday? Uh, no, I didn't. Oh, oh, you gotta watch that. 
Uh, it might have been the worst roughing the passer call that I've ever seen in my life. The uh, the Jets defender, I, I don't remember who it was, but like maybe hugged Baker Mayfield. Like they did, he stopped running and just like put his arms out to stop. And I think they might have grazed helmets. Fifteen yard flag. Huh. I'll have to. Yeah, I'll have to pull it up. Here, I'll I'll see if I can find it. I'll All right. I'll send it to you. By the way, as as you were talking, uh, sorry, I, I was a little distracted. Uh, Trayvon Grimes just opted out of the bowl game. So as we're talking about this Florida offense and the weapons, um, that's that's now two of their top three weapons with Kyle Pitts and now Grimes opting out of the bowl game. So, um, you know, the other thing is, I'm kind of curious what will happen today. Both teams sent their players home for Christmas, obviously. Like, if we get through today without any major situations, then I think the game's going to happen. But, like, this would be the day that we find out, like, one or both teams have a bunch of positive tests or something like that, and this thing doesn't even happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, it, look, let's just be grateful that uh, OU isn't playing Michigan in this bowl game because Harbaugh would absolutely yeah. you know, go cough in all of his players' mouths to make sure that they could uh, find a way out of the bowl game. But, I mean, yeah. look, look th- those are two huge weapons that Florida has lost on their offense, but – um, I mean, they still have a Heisman finalist at quarterback. Like, they still have a, a couple of good weapons left. So, you know, these dudes opting out, I don't think necessarily means that the you know, OUC defense is going to have any easier of a day than they would have had two days ago playing this Florida team. Well, I, I mean, I think it's easier, but it doesn't mean it's a walkthrough, I guess. Yeah. I mean, who knows? They, they could have some freshman kid or some guy off the bench that comes in. And it's amazing. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I'm not real sure on their. I don't really know a lot about Florida's depth at the uh, skill positions, but I don't know. I'm excited. This is. Uh, I'm excited for this for this bowl game. Get a little maybe. Uh, maybe we can get a little Demarco Murray revenge game. Yeah, that's. I you know I I was uh, I was about to make the joke last week when they were sending everybody home for Christmas, uh, and I thought it was just too obvious, so I didn't didn't tweet it. But they were sending everybody home for Christmas, and I was like, whatever you do, just make sure Demarco Murray is able to face Florida this time, so we don't right. have that. You know that if we had Demarco Murray narrative going again, but uh, yeah, crazy dude. So we're like two breaking news things like in in minutes of each other. So Grimes is out for the Cotton Bowl on Wednesday, and the Washington football team just waived Dwayne Haskins. He's terrible. I mean that's a I mean that's crazy because I I agree oh, with you he is terrible but he's what this is year 2. He's a he's a first round draft pick quarterback in his second year and they're like nope. Well, I mean you know I mean I think the writing's on the wall. It's been on the wall a year. Ron Rivera just doesn't like him at all. Right. Like this is a personal thing. I mean we go back a couple of weeks like or to earlier in the season. You have Alex Smith, who hasn't played a snap yet, with coming off missing two years of football right. and almost losing his leg. Right. And Dwayne Haskins isn't even suiting up. And you know it only takes to, I I, I don't I know Kyle Allen had a he had the concussion issues when he came in and I, I I guess something else happened where he's missing the season that I'm just missing. But like, yeah, I mean they're it's it's clearly a personal thing, and I think that. It's completely reasonable because he's been an absolute jackass since he's gotten to the NFL. I mean, go back to last year where his like one win or his first win, 
he's overtaking selfies with fans and can't find his helmet to go take the kneel down or I, I, something like that. I can't remember the story, but he was not paying attention to the game. Uh, you, you know, had the strip club issue. Uh, it was the last week where uh, he was potentially at a strip club with James Harden. He, well, he wasn't with James Harden, but he was pulling a James Harden going to the strip club. Yeah. And like just issues like of immaturity and like not being prepared and like, I skill wise, he's just not. I mean, he's not that good of an NFL quarterback. And you guys talked about it when he declared for the draft after his year at Ohio State that he needed more time. Yeah. In college yeah. before he went to the NFL. And, you know, good on Ron Rivera for going in there and just not really wasting time trying to figure it out. Like, it's not, if it's not going to work, it's not going to work. Like, figure something else out. Well, and, and you can't be that guy at that position, right? Like, if, if you're a linebacker, and I'm just throwing out a random position, if you're a linebacker or a receiver, you can act the way that Dwayne Haskins acts, and it's not that big of a deal. But when you're looked to as the leader of the team at that position, the guy that's going to make headlines, like, not only do you have to be really good at your job, but if you're not, like, you probably get a little bit more leash to develop as a player if if the mental side of it and the personality side of it are okay. But this guy, like, obviously, they were never going to make him the leader of that team, right? Like, they just stripped him of the captainship, right? I don't, yeah, and, like, I I think that Ron Rivera maybe would have been okay with it if he would have proved himself, but, you know, throughout the entire season, uh, he has done nothing to prove himself on the field or off the field to Ron Rivera, and... Uh, you know, Rod's one of the like handful of old school coaches in the NFL still. So like, he's not going to waste his time, you know, messing with this kid that the old regime drafted in the first round. Like who cares? Like if he sucks, he sucks and get him out of there. And he's just, he just hasn't been like, even if he was acting up a little bit, if there was any sign of potential on the field, they wouldn't have cut him after a week 16 game. But like, it's two weeks in a row where they had a chance to win the division and he's gone in there and just given them nothing. He's, yeah. And who knows, like, who knows, like from the preparation standpoint, like we obviously don't know watching it. I mean, he, maybe he just wasn't for like the preparation and like the film stuff. Like he just was doing nothing in this two weeks of opportunity. And Ron's just like, you're doing nothing. Like you cost us a playoff spot. You're done. And <laughs> whatever. I mean, it's, it's it just little- goes against so many, like, NFL teams that just refuse to admit their mistakes, especially in the first round. And I, I mean, I appreciate it, honestly. Like, yeah, you made the wrong but pick. I, the guy's not going to work out. Like, there's no sense in. In I, I do think there are times where maybe got, organizations give up on guys too soon. I, I don't think this is one of those, though. I think they clearly understand they just made a wrong choice. Like, this isn't just I, a player development thing. This is like a fundamental difference between the guy you want to be a leader and who Dwayne Haskins is. I mean, right now he's Jamarcus Russell. Yeah. No, I mean, I, nobody had the expectations for Dwayne Haskins that Jamarcus Russell had, like the skill sets were just completely different on the field, but like just the inability to like do the things off the field that they needed to do, like and, and good on, you know, the Washington organization to cut ties. I'm a little surprised that they wouldn't just hang on to him for another week and then try and trade him. Like, what's the difference yeah. between keeping him and trying to move him in a couple of months and cutting him now? Although, I I, I would say this, because I, I think we all get guilty of, like, like, making that assumption. 
I would be shocked if they didn't already try that and struck out. And so they, yeah. I mean, it is Washington I, though, and they're really bad at at this whole player personnel thing. Football stuff, this football stuff. Yeah, the football stuff, the management of their roster and contracts and all that. So maybe I'm giving Washington too much credit here, but I, I mean, I think for the most part, most NFL teams, I would just assume that they tried that and completely struck out. Yeah, you would have to assume when he's not suiting up for the first three and a half months of the season that you're at least sending out some flyers and yeah. calling some teams like, which is an absolute damning uh, thing to say about Dwayne Haskins that another NFL team wouldn't be willing up to give up like a fifth round pick for a second year quarterback that was a first round pick. Right. So, yeah, wow. I mean, I'm sure he'll find another team to be on the practice squad or something. I mean, yeah. Rough couple of years for Josh Rosen and uh, Dwayne Haskins. Yeah, yeah, they are. <laughs> which oh, which is crazy because you think about all of like the really good quarterbacks that have been drafted in the first round the last few years, and for those two dudes to get like two snaps essentially in their NFL career, and teams just be like, "Nope, this dude sucks." Yeah. So yeah, I, I was I, you know. I was I was on board with Rosen. I really liked him and. Obviously, that's not worked out at all. Uh, the Haskins thing, like, if you wanted to take a project, like, that was where I was with him. If if you viewed him as a project, a guy that you were going to have to work with for a couple years before you really found out what you had, then that, you know, then I'm, it makes sense. But anybody that thought he was going to come in and be good immediately or play early, I think was out of their mind. There's no way he was a first-round pick if you thought that's the way you're going to go about it. So, um he did the right thing, though. I mean, he came out. He was a first-round pick. He got first-round money. Yeah. I mean, somebody was going to take him. It was just a matter of whether you were taking him to, again, be a project and somebody that you're going to bring along slowly and develop, or are you going to throw him in and expect him to give you something early? And if that was the case, then I think it was a bad pick, and, and obviously worked out that way. Yeah, I think I, I think that uh, I, I think Josh Rosen was a little bit more uh, of an interesting guy though, just because I, I never really, I never really saw that much improvement from him from his freshman year at UCLA to, I, I, I guess he left after, I can't remember if he left after his junior year, or if he stayed till his senior year, whatever he declared for the NFL draft. I just didn't feel like through college, he had that much, uh, of an improvement from year one to his last year. But, you know, I mean, that could be an indictment on the coaching at UCLA. Yeah. Um, for all we know, but yeah, I mean, apparently he had attitude issues. I, I remember that being a, a a pretty big narrative going into the draft yep. with his interviews and teams just did not like his attitude. And I mean, clearly nothing has changed for him. Well, that's some dudes. Just, I mean, I was at that draft and I was, I was like backstage where all the players were and, and all of that. And I, I remember talking about this on the radio uh, af after that draft, like when he got picked, he was just walking around like pouting and just like, you know, the, the rain cloud over his head and just like, mad at everybody and it was just a really bad look and I just remember thinking like where's where's like the chip on your shoulder where's the like hey I'm gonna make all these guys pay and I think he said like he was gonna make everybody pay that passed on him but it was just the body language and the way he went about right. carrying himself after that like it was a it was a whiny type of thing more than just like a a motivation type thing and I like from that point on I was just like man I, I've never been able to shake that with him since since draft night. He went tenth, right? Yeah. It's not like he. It's not it was like tenth or eleventh. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's not like there were projections of him going one and then he falls to like 24 like Aaron Rodgers did. And, and look, he could have taken that situation and looked at it like Aaron Rodgers did. Where, you know, screw these guys. Like, I'm pissed off. Like, I'm going to be the best quarterback in the NFL now for people sleeping on me. And, and maybe the difference was Aaron Rodgers went through that his entire football life. Like, he had to go to a junior college before that and, like, got no real Division One offers. Yeah. And... Rosen was like the anointed one as a freshman at UCLA. Right. Yeah. Immediately starting at UCLA as yeah. a freshman and like was good as a freshman uh, and just kind of like, yes, yeah, I guess it was kind of like the football silver spoon versus the football. Like I, you got to earn everything you have. Hell, I apparently Aaron Rodgers. So he's uh he does a weekly interview with Pat McAfee and they asked him about college and he said that the quarterback coach at Cal or the offensive coordinator, I can't remember which one it was, but they told him that he needed to stay he needed to stay at Cal for another year. Ugh. So like he's got his college coach telling him that he's not good enough to play in the NFL right now. Then he drops 23 spots from where some people had him projected. Like it's yeah, I, I guess it's the kind of just the way that the whole thing played out for both of them. But still, that doesn't mean that Josh Rosen had to, you know, go and bitch and pout and yeah. become a problem. It was such a bad look. It was, I, I mean, I went from being like, cause I, again, going into that draft, I thought he was the second best quarterback available after Baker Mayfield and yeah. man, he just like I, my, my, my entire opinion changed about him that night. I was just like, nope, it just, it's such a, it was such a bad look. And, and then to see like Josh Allen carry himself the way that he did. Cause remember Josh Allen had the, the tweet thing happen like, the day before the draft or the day of the draft uh, or whatever it was. I just remember there was like the, the controversy or whatever around some of his tweets. And obviously there were the accuracy question marks with him going into the draft anyway. But I, I just remember like seeing his body language and the way he carried himself and just the way that he interacted with people versus the way that Josh Rosen did. And like my opinion about both guys drastically changed as far as could they be a leader in the NFL? Cause one of them showed like leadership skills. And again, like I, I'm not saying this is the end all be all, but when you can be around somebody for like five minutes and just see the way they carry themselves and drastically change your opinion that much, that's a problem. I think. Yeah. Look, and I'm glad you brought up Josh Allen because uh, I, I think that they're both perfect examples of the complete opposite and why I think that it's so hard to draft in professional sports, to draft these players, and why I don't think that I personally don't think that there is reason to put a lot of stock into GMs and the way that they draft, because there's just so many intangibles that you cannot predict, like how a guy is going to what his work ethic is going to be once he's getting paid. Yeah, like you know how he's going to handle adversity. Like who knows the way that Josh Allen is going to progress and you know, adapt and evolve once he's in the NFL compared to Josh Rosen choosing not to. Same thing in the, I mean, there's tons of players in the NBA you could name where like you just, because they work so hard, they've become great players. And so the dudes that just don't work hard just don't become great players. And we see busts all the time. And I think most of the time it's just because off the field or off the court, like they're just not invested. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I, attitude just goes a long way and that's the part that like you know you don't know anything about when you're looking at it from the outside but all these gms are interviewing these guys there's 
I mean, there's no way that that you're interviewing Josh Rosen and don't have some idea as yeah, to whether or not he has a bad attitude or like is has a you know like I, I'm not saying gonna, it, it's a hundred percent, but you can get you can certainly get I think feelings about the way a guy just is when you're around them for a, a short amount of time and and make educated decisions on that part. Yeah, I think though, yeah, definitely, it definitely does help. But I think that too, in the interviews, like those guys are just going to tell you what you want to hear. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't think I, I always go back to this. It's not necessarily about what they say. It's how they say it. Yeah, it's like how they say it. Are they believable when they say it? Does it come across as genuine? Like I think we we do this all the time at like Big Twelve Media Days, where everybody says the same things. And, like, if you're just, like, going based off of the quote and what they said, like, everybody says the exact same thing. But you could walk away having a feeling about one guy versus a different guy when they said the same thing just because one guy looks really confident and the other guy's like, well, we're, we're, we have a young team. I'm excited about this group. And you're like, this guy knows that his team sucks. Yeah. I mean, they all say the same thing unless it's less Miles. Right. Than- Right, he's right. Uh, he's gonna stand on his own on his own hill and say his own things. Yeah, it's I. Uh, I I just think it's a uh, it's a complicated process for sure drafting these dudes because yeah. there's so many variables that make or break them being uh, successful in their like NBA, NFL, or whatever it might be. Like, it, it's just it's hard to predict, and I think that yeah, no, it is. There's some I think there's some skill to drafting, but like I think a lot of it is just. It's luck, and it's kind of taken out of your hands as a general manager. But yeah, I mean, Josh Rosen. I mean, Josh Rosen. Uh, Josh Allen is. He's good. Like I'm legitimately impressed with how good he has improved each year. Yeah. Or how much he has improved each year. He's a. Uh, it's tough to do that. Like there's a lot of dudes that we watch that don't don't make those improvements year to year like he has. Yeah. Yeah. Way better than I thought he would be. Way better. Same. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we kind of went off on on that rabbit hole, uh, Dwayne Haskins waved by the, by the Washington football team. Um, all right, going back to, so Grimes has opted out of the Oklahoma, Florida game. Does that now like trying to think of like, does that give me a significantly different feeling on the game? I don't know that it makes me feel significantly different about it, but there's no doubt that it, it changes, um, I mean, just what you have to really account for as far as Oklahoma and the defense. Not that there aren't other playmakers, but I don't think you have to worry as much or maybe game plan as much for, you know, somebody else as you would have for Grimes. Yeah, I think uh, I, I think it's a tough team to judge with Florida's offense, too, as far as, like, the impact that these guys can have. Because so much, like, they're just, they had so many big plays this year. Like, if you look at their receivers, like, average per reception, I mean, all of them. Yeah. I mean, Jacob Copeland's at 19 yards of reception. Uh, you've got a couple of dudes at, like, 16 and 17 yards of reception. Like, everybody is getting, like, big chunk plays uh, in their passing game. So, I, I, I don't know, like, outside of Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Tony, like, and Grimes, Grimes is good, but, like, I had a lot of big plays this year. So, I don't know how how to necessarily judge who is going to impact the game or if anyone is significantly better than another when you're just getting so many big plays. Um, 
like like a, like a CD Lamb type guy. Like yeah. I think that like he had big plays, but you could see in those like small, shorter to intermediate plays, like how good he was at getting separation. Yeah. And are these dudes just like you know just running outrunning the defense and just making you know forty or fifty yard plays consistently? I don't. I, I don't know. I think that it's still. I think their offense is still going to be pretty damn good. I, I think so too. It, he's just he's the guy that really stretches you over the top, and he stretches the defense so much that I think it made the job of not that not that they they needed it a lot, but he stretches you so much vertically that getting Pitts and Tony the ball underneath was significantly easier. It allows Tony to get the ball underneath in space and then do things with his legs. Uh, while also, you know, getting favorable matchups if you want to send him vertical as well. And then obviously, you know, Kyle Pitts and everything that that he brings to the table. So, he, you know, again, I, I'm not saying they can't find another guy to do the same things, but going into a matchup, he's just, I think he's such a weapon in terms of how he stretches the field that from a game plan standpoint, more than anything, I think it just makes Alex Grinch's job probably easier. Yeah. Yeah. Um... How's their offensive line? Like, I know Kyle Trask didn't take a lot of sacks this year, but is is their offensive line, you, you watch them and think that that's an offensive line that could present a challenge for the front seven at OU? I thought they were okay. Like, they they, they never looked bad to me, but they never looked great either. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, they, I don't know that I could really give you a great grade of, like, how they played all year long, but I, nothing I saw this year would give me the impression that they're going to win the matchup against the Oklahoma defensive line. So I guess for me, setting my expectations based on every time I've watched Florida play this year, I, I think the Oklahoma defensive line is the better unit. So, Yeah, I mean, I think they'll use front, front seven of their defensive line. I think they've been probably top 15 or top 20, if not a little bit better in the country this year. Like they've been... I think top five. Top five, there. I mean, yeah, yeah. Top, I, yeah, legitimate difference makers. Um, and I, you know, Kyle Trask was sacked 19 times in 11 games, and that's not, that's not great. But I mean, that's what like one and a half sacks a game. Yeah, a little I mean, less they than throw that. the so, ball a lot, a lot, right? So, you know, it it could just be that Kyle Trask is just really good at sensing pressure, and you know, he's the reason that he hasn't been sacked that much, but. Yeah, it'd be interesting though. I'm, I'm excited to see Kyle Trask against his OU defense because I mean it's a Heisman finalist. Like he's been amazing all year. Yeah. So I'm excited to see what uh, what they can do. Like this is we've talked about this before. Last week I said this. Like it's a good litmus test. Like it's a good barometer to see if Alex Grinch is li- really building something on that on that defensive side of the ball for OU, or if it's just you know we just run through we run through the Big Twelve and then run into somebody a big a big time uh, offense and we just can't keep up yet. Well, and I think on the other side of the ball it's it's really fun as well because Oklahoma has a bunch of big playmakers. They've been known for offense, but look, we've watched them the last two games against Baylor and Iowa State and the offense has been very inconsistent. They've struggled to consistently sustain drives. They've struggled to get first downs for large periods of time in a ball game. And while, you know, again, because they have so many just great players and great athletes, they're, they're going to hit big plays. But can they move the ball consistently? Like every time I've, you know, the the, the Florida defense to me is extremely underwhelming. They they don't uh, they don't they don't wow me in any way. So I, I think that that's a group that can be beaten. But you know, we just don't know if Oklahoma offensively is at a at a 
position where they can take advantage of that. Uh, or maybe, you know, maybe all of a sudden we like see just how average the SEC defense is, quote unquote, uh, are. And if Oklahoma like looks like their their former selves offensively, then that's what I was talking about at the top of this with the whole narrative thing. Like if Oklahoma just moves the ball up and down the field when they've struggled for the last several games offensively, then like the whole like SEC defense thing, like where does that narrative go? Yeah, I mean, look, and it, it, I don't look at this OU offense and say that they've got any mismatches. Like, I, there's no guy right now that stands out that to me that I say he's going to be problems for that Florida defense. Even if, I mean, even if Florida defense, like you said, they're pretty underwhelming. They're, you know, an average defense uh, in college football this year. But I just, I mean, there's just nobody that I look at and I say that dude should have a big day, or like Florida is going to have to key on this guy to slow them down. Maybe Ramondre Stevenson, yeah. you know, but even then I like no, definitely none of the receivers, like as good as Stogner and Mims and Weiss and those dudes can be like, I don't view them like a CD lamb or uh, a Hollywood Brown or a Sterling Shepard, like guys that are going to cause them problems right. the entire game. Right. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think Stevenson's that guy for me. I mean, if you're, if you're Florida, I think that's the guy you have to circle and not allow him to beat you, and especially not allow him to, like, preventing Oklahoma from getting creative with him outside of just, like, the normal run stuff, the the normal run, you know, base offense stuff that they do. Like, he's the guy that I think can pre- present some problems when you're able to get him the ball in, in some creative ways. But, yeah, I think otherwise, that's, you know, that's been one of the Oklahoma issues is the the... I don't want to call it failure, uh, but the inability to like establish a go-to receiver. Because again, I think like Mims is probably going to be that guy. Uh, he's on his way to being that guy, but I, I don't think like he's at a point, or at least he hasn't been at a point where every single week you know he's going to give you this big time performance. And look, that's not an easy thing to accomplish anyway. There are a lot of teams that don't have a guy that every single week gives you consistent big-time performances. Oklahoma's just been extremely lucky to have a bunch of those guys, and I think Mims is on track to become that, or or anybody else for that matter, right? Like, they have a bunch of guys that I think could become that. I, I think it's just a combination of playing time and chemistry and youth and all of those things kind of lining up to allow that to take place. But, yeah, it's it, it's going to be a lot of fun to see if Oklahoma can consistently move the football when they haven't been able to do it the last few matchups. Uh, just for comparison uh, arguments, Spencer Rattler threw 294 passes this year, took 20 sacks. Kyle Trask threw 409 and took 19 sacks. There you go. Take it, I mean, take it for what it is. Uh, I don't think it means a lot, but just kind of want to throw that out there. Uh, if you had to grade Lincoln Riley's performance this year coaching the offense— I mean, what would you give him? Because we talked, I mean, we've talked a lot about how like just they haven't been able to establish uh, those weapons, but I mean, they're so young and like, I mean, what would you, what, if you had to grade him, what would your grade be just coaching the offense for Riley? I would say probably like a B. Um, you know, part of this, I, I've, there have been mixed reviews on the offensive line, I think all season long. I don't think it's, it's even arguable that once, Ramondre Stevenson came back, the run game got significantly better, and I don't know how much of that is just the offensive line, you know, finding their their rhythm at the same time that Stevenson comes back, but 
obviously they were significantly better with the the rush game was significantly better when Ramondre Stevenson got back into the mix. Um, you know, I think part of it is offensive drops all season long prevented Oklahoma from doing some things offensively throughout the year. And, and, you know, especially at some moments inside games, I think drops prevented Oklahoma from really like taking a, a big momentum swing over an opponent or I don't know. I always just, I kind of felt like there was never a hundred percent confidence from Lincoln Riley with this group. Like there was always something that he was worried about. And so I, I don't feel like he was ever really able to unleash everything that he wanted to. And part of that I think was probably Spencer Rattler uh, early in the season. I think late in the season, part of that is probably the, the pass catchers and just, you know, the lack of anybody emerging as your go-to guy and the amount of drops and the inconsistency running the football. Like the, the big 12 championship was crazy to me because like the second half, where'd the run game go? Like that was a big reason why I thought Iowa State was able to climb back in. It was because they they just quit running the football, they quit running the clock, they kept the defense on the field way too much, and I, I don't know. It's it's interesting. I I think that it's just a from a chemistry standpoint, it's just kind of an odd group together. One of the uh, things that I've always thought that Lincoln Riley did a, exceptionally well, especially at his time at OU, um, is adjusting really well based on his personnel. Yeah. Like from, you know, we, you could talk from half to half, game to game. Um, I mean, you can go back to his first year when they probably were running, were passing the ball a little too much. And at, I think it was after probably after the Texas game, like they kind of realized, like, dude, we've got Joe Mixon and Samaj P. Ryan. Yeah. Like, let's put them both, let's line them up, both of them up in the backfield, you know, 80% of the snaps and just pound the ball and just be in a, a physical team. And, you know, you kind of see the evolution of the way that he, calls like week to week uh by the way pff uh, i'm looking at their all the college football offensive lines ranked and this was uh from december 3rd so uh it was a few weeks ago but oklahoma was eighth florida was 73rd okay 76 the florida yeah. was 76 oklahoma was eight but i mean you I mean, look at the sack numbers too like it's not yeah. necessarily uh you know an indictment i, th- I think that ou's I think they're pretty pretty good at run blocking. Like they've been able to run the ball pretty consistently this year. They've just not been able to do it like they have in the past, and I think that's that's a big issue. Like they just don't run the football on demand with the same success right. that they have in the past. And I think that's the genesis of all the issues offensively. But to take that a step further, I mean, um, obviously you still have a young quarterback. While Spencer Rattler, I think has has shown tremendous growth throughout the year. I mean, it, it, he's still a young guy that is um, certainly not past the point of maybe getting confused at times. Uh, and, and like I said, you know, especially with the, with the pass catchers, there's just not been the emergence of one or even two guys that just, you know, every single Saturday, you know, are going to show up and give you a big performance. Um, and, you know, Ramondre Stevenson, I think certainly lifted that group when he got back. But even with Stevenson, it's not like, you know, every single week they're they're you know, he has 150 rushing yards and, you know, they're controlling the line of scrimmage in that department. So I think he made it significantly better. And I think him coming back helped still mask some of the running issues that they have. Yeah, they just like the big plays on the, in the run game just have not been there this year. Like they've they've really struggled to break off big runs. I mean, the longest run they've had all year was 30 yards. 
That's crazy. Yeah, and I mean, you're talking about, I mean, they like the last couple of years, like last year, I, I they might have had three 25 to 30 yard runs a game. Yeah. And it's just that the big plays just aren't there. And you probably argue that the big plays aren't there in the passing game really either this year. The entire offense just isn't as as explosive. And I think that's reasonable. Well, I, I feel like the big this. plays are there in the passing game, but that's all there is. I, I don't feel like there's yeah, as much consistency in the pass game to just move the chains. Yeah. And like when they score, I feel like it's a big play. Like, okay. you know, it's it's something that is not just like a, you know, their their base offense, I don't feel like has had a lot of success. I feel like when they take their shots and when they get creative, that's when they've created big plays and that's when they've moved the football. But out of their just base stuff that they do regularly, I, you know, that's where I feel like they've not had a lot of success. I don't know. I could be yeah. wrong. That's just kind of uh, the... I mean, I, I, I think that's... Yeah, I, I'm like thinking back on on the like the scoring plays and like kind of flashing them through my head. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's been a lot of plays where like I could picture Spencer Rattler you know, throwing it to a receiver down the sideline for 40 yards or, you know, like kind of broken coverage play looking plays. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I could. Yeah. I could see that kind of being the, the analysis is that, yeah, the, the running game can't break the big play in the passing game. Can't, you know, it's not consistent. It's, it's boom or bust really with the passing game. Yeah. I feel like they're either hitting big plays in the pass game or it's nothing almost. Uh, yeah. and, and look, they've also had a lot of big pass plays, you know, dropped. Like th- the yeah. frequency of the big play maybe isn't there as much as it has been in the past. But I don't, you know, I, I don't think it's it's invisible. I still think the big play is part of the offense. And really, I think that's been the biggest part of the pass game is the big play as opposed to just like consistently throwing the football and moving down the field. I, I think the I think the moral of the story here is we got spoiled over the past five years of yes. watching a top five <laughs> offense every year, and now we're watching a top like forty offense, and we're like, this thing is broken. Well, I mean, we got to fix this. Th- the crazy thing is the numbers still say they're one of the elite offenses in college football. Yeah, but you can watch you can watch right. one OU game and just kind of right. it's not the same. Yeah, they are uh, they're number nine in the country in scoring offense at forty two points a game. It's crazy. That is crazy. Yeah. Like, by the way, Florida's number eleven. So, <laughs> I can't believe the OU's outscoring Florida. I feel like Florida was scoring seventy points a week yeah. for the first like two and a half months of the season. Yeah. But like total offense, th- this this will kind of show you maybe what I'm talking about. Total offense, they're all the way down at eighteen. Yeah. Yeah. This consistency's not there. Right. Like. Yeah. So they're still scoring points and they're still hitting big plays. I just don't think they're moving up and down the football field as much as they have. Well, and you could argue too that the defense being significantly better this year is translating to the offense scoring more and not having to work as hard. For sure. Yeah, those. I mean, that's a mutual relationship that you know one one certainly impacts the other. Um, how do you feel at Oklahoma State Miami? What's your interest level in this game? Um, I good on Tyler Wallace for playing first off because I mean that that's legit literally just uh I'm just doing this because I want to play another game at Oklahoma State because I don't think he's going to improve his draft stock from one more game he's he's played enough at Oklahoma State that I don't think there's any scouts that don't know what he is right at, at this point so good on him I'm excited I'm, I'm happy that he's playing Chuba obviously uh, opted out which is probably a year too late for him. 
to opt out of, out of playing for Oklahoma State. But uh, I, I'm excited because I want Miami to be good. Like I, I, I want Miami to kind of get back to being a top program in college football because – and I've never been a Miami fan, but I think they're just one of those programs where when they're good, college football is more fun. For sure. So – I, I, I'm interested to watch from that perspective that hopefully Manny Diaz is getting them rolling in the right direction. And, you know, eight and two is a good start, uh, you know, to get them in that right direction. I like Derek King. Uh, Holgerson completely botched that whole thing last year in Houston with Derek King. But and he's coming back next season. Yeah. So uh, hopefully they're rolling. Hopefully this isn't just a repeat of the the chain, the turnover chain Miami team where they were good for a year and then just terrible for the next two. But It'd be an interesting matchup. It's fun that we got two uh, Oklahoma versus Florida, state of Florida bowl matchups yeah. in two days. Yeah, it's Miami. They, they played two good teams all year long, and both teams, they just got completely worn out yeah, by. They, gave, they With, gave up, like, what, 1,000 yards rushing to North Carolina. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. although, like, people I don't think have realized how good both of those North Carolina running backs are. Like, the AP, I think, had both of them as – top three team All-Americans. PFF had them graded out as the top number one and number two running backs in college football. So both of those guys are really good. A, that North Carolina offense is really good. But Miami got torched by Clemson, got torched by North Carolina, and offensively didn't do anything against either one of those teams. So while I think the De'Aaron King story was fun and really good most of the year, when they actually played somebody, they were... Not very good. And I, I'll say, I, I do think that offensively, it's the best they've looked since probably like Ken Dorsey was there. I mean, they've just, they've been bad on offense for such a long yeah. period of time that, you know, at least Derek King gives you the hope that on his own, he creates so many problems. But yeah, I, I mean, this is kind of a, a barometer for Miami and just how good they are. And at the same time, like with Oklahoma State, if you can't do anything offensively against a defense like that, like, you really have issues. You know, the Tylen Wallace thing is interesting because I love that he wants to play. I love the competitiveness. I love that, you know, he wants to be there for his teammates and do that one last thing. I think for me, like, I look at it from an NFL perspective and I look at it as in he has more to lose than he has to gain, which would make it, I mean, if, he, if, if I were his advisor, this is the way I look at it. If I were his advisor and we're talking about money and future, I'm telling him you have more to lose by playing in this game than you have to gain. I don't know what you're going to gain out of this other than like you being able to, to, you know, your personal like experience with your teammates. So from that perspective, I don't know why he's playing, but from a football standpoint and a fan of the game standpoint, I love the fact that he's doing it. We, we don't have a lot of these guys. I feel like that want to play in these like, you know, quote unquote, meaningless bowl games. So I love the fact that he wants to go out there and, and compete. Uh, I would just, you know, from the, the business side says, I don't know why you're doing this. Yeah. Uh, by the way, so you mentioned that people don't realize how good those North Carolina running backs are. I, I want to I build on that for a second. Okay. Just a point, just to kind of pile on how good they are. So Michael Carter and Javante Williams both ran for over 1,000 yards. Both of them averaged over seven yards a carry. And PFF has... North Carolina's offensive line ranked 102nd. Yeah. So just... Those guys are good, man. Like, every time yeah. I watched them this year, it wasn't just, like, 
that both of those guys were running through massive holes and you could just plug anybody there. Like both of those guys, every time I watch North Carolina play, both of those guys were making big plays. Yeah. So, uh, it'll be fun though. I like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I feel any better about Spencer Sanders after this year than I did after I did last year. Like I think after last year, a lot of people were, feeling good for Gundy's offense and, you know, the quarterback situation and, and Stillwater going into the yep. future. And I just felt like he's just, I don't know if he's regressed or if just, he definitely didn't take a step forward uh, from, you know, last year to this year. So that, that doesn't really uh, ignite a lot of hope. Chuba obviously was a, was a, he wasn't terrible this year, but again, just much like Spencer, just the expectations were significantly higher, but I mean, isn't that just kind of the uh, the Oklahoma State like recipe is just to have a lot of expectations going into the season and not live up to them? I mean, that's that's what I've learned to expect. Yeah, I mean, over, the past over 10 yeah, years. yeah, since since 2011, right? They've yeah. there have been a couple times or three times I think where they've been in position where we feel like they could legitimately win the conference, and they've not in any of those opportunities. But yeah, I, the Spencer Sanders thing, like I I was one of the people that thought. Coming into the year, he was, I mean, without having seen Spencer Rattler play a whole lot and not really knowing how great the quarterback play in this conference was all the way around. I mean, you know, Brock Purdy was a guy that had experience, but I thought Spencer Sanders, you know, was potentially an all-conference type quarterback this season. I mean, I think just, and and I the main reason I think is because a lot of people felt like there would just be a natural progression in his game. And to your point, I don't know that he was any worse, but you just never really felt like he took steps forward this season. So, yeah, I think going into next year, that's a massive conversation with Oklahoma State and the quarterback position and who it's going to be. And, I mean, if it is Spencer Sanders, does he does he get better this offseason? So, uh, yeah, it's that, that, that to me is probably the main storyline with Oklahoma State going into next year. And, you know, obviously tonight offensively, like, or tomorrow offensively, like, can they move the ball against the Miami defense that really has, has struggled at times this year? And I say struggled, struggled in the two matchups against quality opponents. So do you, uh, do you put any stock into, uh, the rumors or whatever you want to call them about, uh, Auburn being interested in Gundy? I'm. I mean, I'm sure there was some interest. They haven't. Have they, did they hire somebody yet? Did I just miss that? They. Uh, they got Brian Harson. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. They From hire Boise. Okay. okay. Well, uh, disregard my last statement because I for, completely forgot they did yeah. hire somebody. So, Gundy. Uh, maybe he might flirt with with the pay raise, but uh, I don't. I, I, I. Yeah. I don't. I mean, if, if you look at Auburn's situation. I mean, it makes sense that you would you would dip a toe in the water there. Like, it, it, I mean, is is Brian Harson better than Mike Gundy? I mean, I don't know. Do you th- well, let me okay. Let me phrase this question differently. So I yeah, I don't. Okay, go ahead. Do you think that Oklahoma State fans are ready to see somebody else come in? Well, I think I think half the fan base is, and half the fan base is terrified. Of what of, could happen. Of what, what what could happen the day that Gundy is no longer the head football coach. Yeah, I guess there. Yeah, I guess there. I that's true. I have interacted with a lot of Oklahoma State fans over the past few years, and there's 
there's it seems to be 50 50 that some are just like well thank god we're not two and eight or two and ten like at least we're yeah. you know yeah. winning eight games a year and then there's the other half where they think that there should be more improvement you know you kind of want to keep right. evolving and you don't want to stay as you know the Middle of the pack. Yeah, I guess that's true. What was the winless year? Was it 10 and 1 or something like that? Like, there's the group of people that are young enough that really all they've known from Oklahoma State is like the emergence with Les Miles and Mike Gundy and then kind of like the sustained success over the last decade and want to see them take that next step. And then there's the group that were there like pre-Les Miles who remember – that awful stadium and, you know, teams that, that weren't competitive and are just scared to death that if you don't have Mike Gundy, you go back to winning one game a season. And that if you do get anybody that's worth a damn, like Les Miles, they're going to be out the door in two years. So, yeah. I think, though, but I, so I think, I think the perspective that it's kind of a transition school was it, like there's a legitimate reason to be afraid of that just because. It's just it's just not on the level that like you know an Ohio State or an LSU or Alabama or well, yeah. all those schools would be. But I think it's completely reasonable for those fans to look at the way that this program has performed over the past fifteen years and say, we. I mean there there just has there has to be an expectation to win the Big Twelve from now. Like it's just yeah. there has to be an evolution to try and be better when you, you've won double digit games. One, two, three, four, five, five years in the past decade. So, ha- like fifty percent of the season, last decade, you're winning double-digit games, but then you're following it up with seven and six seasons, like every every third year. So, like, I, I I get it. Like, if you're able to win games that much, there has to be an expectations that you do it consistently or every year, or you know maybe you finally beat OU, and I think that's a big part of it is that they just can't beat OU. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. That's it's uh that's where I think the split in the fan base is from like uh taking the next step to like starting over. And look, if if LSU calls you, like there are only a handful of coaches in the country anyway that aren't going to listen to LSU. Right? Like right. so this this idea that Oklahoma State is going to lose a guy to LSU, well yeah, so would 99% of the schools in college football. Like LSU is one of those programs that, you know, you're going to listen if they call you, but they just won a national championship when Les went there. Yeah, like, exactly. It's not like they were in the dumpster. Right. When he took that job. Right. Like, so, so yeah, LSU is going to, going to demand anybody's attention. Same thing for like Alabama and Ohio state. If Ohio state calls you, you're listening. But I think what the difference is Oklahoma state has elevated itself to a much better position than it was when, you know, less left, like at that point, if you're Oklahoma state and somebody like, I don't know, Michigan state calls, you're probably listening to Michigan state, right? Or I don't know. I mean, there are some of those mid tier schools. I think Oklahoma state's now at this point where you're probably not losing guys to, to a Michigan state, for example, or a Virginia tech. Yeah. That's gotta be a lateral move. Yeah, it's, like, it, exactly. We do that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I, and I think that, it's a frustrating thing for me is like, I don't like, you know, I've said this, I, I don't have a college football team. I don't care. Like it does not affect me one way or the other. If Oklahoma state wins or loses, but it is incredibly frustrating to clearly see that Oklahoma state is bringing in like good talent, like yeah. really good talent, talent that they should be 
competing for the Big 12 title every year. But the fact that they haven't been in the Big 12 championship game, I, I think is like I think that's a detriment to Mike Gundy's ability to coach and evolve. And like we talked, he's just so conservative. Like there, it seems like it's easy fixes. Yeah, to get this Oklahoma State program to that next level, and the easy fixes are just it's changing the way that Gundy coaches a game, and he just he doesn't change it. He's he stays he stays uber conservative in 2020 when there are analytics and data to back up that being conservative is going to cost you game after game. And I mean, we see NFL coaches adjust. Like Andy Reid goes for. I mean, I know Patrick Mahomes and the offense they have plays a part, but like. How many times do you see them going for it on fourth down? Right. Probably every drive they get a fourth down. If if, if it's reasonable, they're going to go for it because he trusts his offense. And I don't know. I don't. Gundy just doesn't trust his team, or he's scared, or what it is. It just doesn't like the way that he coaches is not going to win them games in 2020. Yeah. Hey, we have more breaking news. I almost feel like we need to like re-record this now. At this point. Kadarius Tony has opted out of the Cotton Bowl on Wednesday. So now Florida will be without Kyle Pitts, Kadarius Tony, and Trayvon Grimes, their their top three offensive threats. What is going on? That like is it I is it like I wonder if they have like a COVID issue and they're just opting out or like it's weird to opt out of the game the two days before the game, right? Yeah. It is bizarre. That that it, essentially like all their top players are like, is Kyle Trask opting out? And that, I like what is going. Like, I know, very right? Bizarre. Is he going to play? I don't. I don't even know. Yeah, this is two days before the game. Like they've gone through, like a full week of prep and game planning, and like you're essentially to the point where you're just about to get on the plane and fly there, and you're saying, "No, I'm not playing." That's just bizarre. This is weird. I don't. Uh, I don't really pay attention to you know players opting out of bowl games a lot, but it doesn't seem like they usually do it two days before the game. Okay, so we'll just... To, to give you an idea of how significant these three guys are within the offense, Florida pass catchers this year caught 296 passes. 70 of those were from Tony, 43 from Pitts, 38 for Grimes. The next highest guy is at 23 receptions. 4,272 yards for Florida pass catchers this year. 984 of that from Tony, 770 from Pitts, 589 from Grimes. The next highest is 435. So you're talking about those three guys having about 2,200 yards receiving between the three of them? Yeah. Yeah. And then touchdowns, this is the really bad one. Florida pass catchers this year had 45 touchdown catches. Tony was responsible for 10, Pitts 12, Grimes 9. The next highest oh. player, three touchdown receptions. 31 of their 45 touchdowns are from those three yeah. guys. Yeah, this is uh, not shaping up to be as interesting as it was a week ago. Ooh. That's, wow. Yeah. I mean, this could be, I mean, I, I, will, I guess we'll find out how good of a quarterback Kyle Trask is, you know, where these... Uh, really good receivers making him look good or, you know, vice versa. I don't know. It'd be interesting. But now that these guys are opting out, I'm kind of skeptical that Kyle Trask is going to opt out in like two hours. I know, right? Like now this, this, this kind of just becomes like a, I mean, it's almost like a no win for OU. 
right? Like, yeah, if either, you win, you're supposed place, to. Yeah. If you if you don't win, they were without their their three best offensive playmakers. I mean, that that's not a quarterback, obviously. Yeah, this is uh Yeah, yeah, this is kind of you're right. This is turning into a no-win situation. There's like there's just no way they could come out and like have the media feel good about this win. At least from a national perspective right. because there's just there's going to be an excuse either way. That's crazy. I This is weird, right? Like it is it's weird. So weird. I'm, yeah, I'm like yeah. I'm looking for I'm looking for more information or something. Uh It just basically these these uh statements just say like thank you to Florida, blah blah blah. I'm so thankful for my time here. Um but it's time to prepare for the next step and go to the NFL. I mean, unless, unless these dudes told, you know, the coaches and stuff that they were opting out a week ago and just didn't announce it until today for some like strategical advantage to where, you know, Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch, you know, couldn't game plan for them being out. Yeah. I don't know, but the timing feels very bizarre to me for sure. To do it, yeah, two days before kickoff is odd. Yeah, I mean, they're. I mean, I would imagine that they're flying to Dallas today. Yeah, they would have to. Yeah, there's no. They're yeah. Yeah. So like, like they're boarding the plane, and Tony and Grimes are like walk up and just like, yeah, I don't think we're gonna go today, Coach. I think we're gonna stay home. Or I call, I text them like, sorry, can't make it in today. Like the timing's very weird. I mean, honestly, I would have thought they would have left before today. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, forty eight hours before. I mean, for a bowl game. Yeah. Because because yeah, like guess. it's it, it, this isn't a normal year where you can just fly in and go play. Like you have to go. You know, with all the COVID testing stuff you have to do. To me, it would make more sense that you were. I mean, there, way before just forty eight hours before kickoff. But I. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I mean, I, if they're they could, you're right. They could already have been in Dallas for a day yeah. or two now. And if they're not, they're definitely flying there today. Very, like, how, very strange. How, yeah, it's it's very bizarre. Well, anyway, uh, so Florida, uh, Oklahoma. I guess it's really hard to pick the the Gators. If you if you uh, thought you were going to pick them beforehand, I wonder. Uh, do you know what the line was this morning? No, I do not. At the pre, I don't know what it was either. Um, at the moment, Bavada has it Sooners minus one. So I wonder if that's taking into account the opt-outs or if that has... Oh, no, sorry. That's that's uh, Oklahoma State-Miami. <laughs> sorry, I just saw Oklahoma and it says Miami-Florida, so I saw the Oklahoma and the Florida. Um, okay, so this has Florida minus two and a half. So I would imagine that's before the opt-outs. They haven't accounted for that yet, would be my guess. Yeah. I don't, so, yeah, I, look, I get it. Like, I think we talked about this before like I get opting out of these bowl games like if 
there's really not much you can do to help your stock or hurt your stock from one performance. But yeah. it's not like it's not I, like I don't think that Tony is like a top two round like prospect right now. Tony, I've so, I've seen as a second round guy. You have okay, yeah, like a like a be early second round or like late second round. Um, I I think it. I've seen it mixed. Okay. I've seen him as high ranked as high as like the number six receiver in this class and as low as like nine or ten. But like I've I we, we talked about this about a month ago. Uh there were we were looking at a couple of like draft uh rankings for the receiver position, and all of the ones that I brought up then had Tony ranked higher than Tylen Wallace, for example. Yeah. So Pitts Pitts obviously makes sense, right? I mean, he's going to be a top 10 pick. Again, for a game like this, I don't know how much he has to gain. I think Tony, I think considering the magnitude of who you're playing, not that the bowl game like has anything significant on the line, but when you consider the magnitude of who you're playing, I think he could help his stock in this game. Uh, yeah, I feel bad for Kyle Trask. He's going, he's going into this matchup with... A front seven that's been elite this year, and all of his receivers are opting out. Has anyone heard from Kyle Trask? Yeah, let's uh, let's see if he's uh. Yeah, this is crazy. So when when we replay this podcast, people are going to be like, "These idiots, Grimes and Tony aren't even out there." Do uh speaking of uh Kyle Trask, any chance he uh wins the Heisman or is it definitely going to somebody in Alabama? It's I think it's almost a slam dunk that it's gonna be Devontae Smith. But if it's not Devontae Smith, it'll be Mac Jones. Uh, hey, I'm all for a receiver winning the Heisman. Sign me up for that. Even if he's an Alabama player. I, fun. I, I was on the Najee Harris train, man. He finished in the top five, but yeah. Yeah, you could you could legitimately make the case for Alabama players in spots one, two, and three of your Heisman vote. It's crazy. I mean, especially when you consider Trevor Lawrence missing a couple games and like the you know the 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 overall numbers aren't even close to Mac Jones and Kyle Trask throwing the football. Yeah, it's. I'm so glad that uh, we're finally getting to that downturn of Alabama being dominant and yeah, finally. getting a lull and Nick Saban just destroying everybody. Yeah, Finally, the Crimson Tide catch a break. They've been struggling for so long. Yeah, crazy. Glad to see. Uh, yeah, it's. I just assumed that if Bill Belichick and the Patriots were struggling, that meant that Saban was going to start struggling. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Those, yeah, that... There's some, like, crazy statistic with those two, right? Yeah, and, like, they're the same person, too, so, like, it makes it even more yeah. uh, fun to compare them. Yeah, yeah. There was, some, yeah there was something with, like, uh, I don't know if it was, like, every year, but it se- seemingly every year since Saban got to Alabama, if the Patriots won the Super Bowl that year, Alabama won the national championship or something like that. But, yeah. Uh, uh Bryce Hall, Brees is it? Bree is brah, I got brain fog. Brees or Bryce? Bryce Hall, right? Brees Hall. I was say running back. Brees Hall. Yeah. Okay. 
Uh, he finished sixth. Yeah. Uh, in the Heisman yeah. voting, which is uh, that's big time for Iowa State. Hell, I mean, there was the college football committee was putting Iowa State up there just because of him. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a little disappointed though. I'm not as excited about this uh, Cotton Bowl game now. It yeah. A lot of the punch is gone. And look, I thought the Kyle Pitt, like I said at the top of this, I thought Oklahoma was dodging a huge bullet without Kyle Pitts playing in this thing. But now it just kind of feels like, I don't know, it's very underwhelming. And I it kind of sets up for a no-win situation on the Sooner side of things. Because unless they have major opt-outs as well, the expectation is going to be that they win. And if they don't, it's a big disappointment. If they do, they're supposed to because Florida's without all these playmakers. It, 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 yeah, you're right. It just kind of, the sizzle of this game is certainly gone. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. It's a bummer, man. It's like, uh, it's like if OU a couple of years ago going to that game against Alabama and I, I know that with the stakes were different, but like if CD Lamb, Hollywood Brown, and like uh, Mark Andrews, Mark Andrews all yeah. opted out two days before the game. Yeah. I mean, not that this is better for Oklahoma, obviously. Like it's a better oh, situation, sure, yeah. but yeah, I think in terms of just like we started this thing with, like we started this podcast with the narrative conversation about what this game meant and potentially like how narratives shift involving some big pieces of the college football world. And I think that's, that's gone now. Right. Yeah. Well, unless, yeah, I mean, unless Florida yeah. still, unless Florida still Wins. scores like 40, then right. the, you know, big 12 doesn't play defense narrative will be alive and well. There's no positive spin for the big 12 or Oklahoma because of this. Right. Yeah, I don't think there is. I, I think it becomes a very, um, you know, nothing to gain, everything to lose type situation for Oklahoma and the Big 12 from that standpoint. Yeah, it's... Damn, I'm like... I'm just like racking my brain trying to figure out like... Because, you know, the conspiracy theorist in me is like, okay, something's up. There's some shady stuff going on. Something's happening. Florida's about to have a COVID outbreak and they're all just going to, the game's going to get canceled. But it probably is just, I mean, it's probably just these dudes yeah. opting out because they want to go to the NFL, but the timing is just very bizarre. Crazy. I'm going to try to get in touch with somebody from Florida. See if, uh, see if they can explain all this. That's yeah. Weird. I don't know, man. Well, I guess, uh, I guess we'll just post the podcast anyway. <laughs> even though like it's completely different than the first 30 minutes that we recorded. But um, yeah, look, if Kyle Trask opts out, then things get even crazier, but should be game over. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't imagine. I mean, there, there's at some point there is a, like, what's the point in this thing happening threshold that, that would be crossed. I would imagine. So I don't know. Crazy man. Yeah. Well, we uh we have NBA the next two nights, so we can yeah, we can look forward. Hey, if if the Clippers are going to be down 50 at halftime every week or every night, then uh I'm going to be watching a lot more NBA cuz sign me up for the Clippers just getting absolutely obliterated. Are you even aware of the NBA standings right now? 
I mean, at the no, top of the matter? Western Conference, okay, when no, they're I supposed to be tanking, the Oklahoma City Thunder, the only unbeaten Western Conference team. Yeah, you, that look. You know, you're right. They're the best team in the West. Uh, I was wrong last week. I had them as the worst, and yeah. they're clearly proving me wrong. Shea is a superstar hitting game winners over uh, over Lamelo Ball and the Hornets. If tonight's game gets canceled against the Jazz with Rudy Gobert in town a second time, we riot. I wouldn't even let Rudy into the Chesapeake. I'd be like, you know what? Right. You, you ruined everything last time. Somebody at Will Rogers outside. just needs to be like, sir, you've come far enough. Random, uh, We're going to keep you on the tarmac. Random FAA screening, sorry. Yeah. Need to take you in. Yeah. Um, I feel like... You know the meme where Will Smith's in the empty house in the season finale or the series finale of Fresh Prince? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like that's Kyle Trask right now. He, I, I feel bad for him. And, and, like, too, like, you know, how how many reps has he worked with these, like, third-string receivers that he's going to be playing with? Yeah. I, I'm totally bummed that this has happened. Yeah. I mean, this was a fun matchup. Like, I, I think out of outside of the playoff, like this was like best case matchup for college football between these OU teams. Yeah, are these uh, these two teams, OU and Florida, just because like the it seemed like it was like a, a legitimate strength versus strength matchup with well, great storylines and narratives, and like we just were losing all of it. Not only strength versus strength, but also. Florida coming into this game playing Big 12-style football and Oklahoma coming into this game playing SEC-style football, right? Like, it just, the narrative being completely flipped in terms of how each team is getting it done. And now now Florida's coming in playing uh, Sunbelt football. I mean, they're still going to be good, but, like, it's just, it's yeah, it's just not as exciting as losing the, the, the top weapons on your offense. Uh, just as a fan, like, I don't want to see, I want to see these teams at their best playing each other, not right. You know, with their third string receiver starting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we wanted to see Oklahoma and that defense play against, you know, a Florida team with all the weapons and, and get a really good idea as to how they match up. Yeah. Damn. So that legitimately frustrates me. Yeah. What a bummer. What a bummer. All right, man. Um, we'll get out of here, uh, before anything else happens. And, uh, Okay. Then basically all the news in this thing is completely worthless. But <laughs> oh, what a crazy day. I was not expecting this. Yeah. No, no. Kadarius Tony, no Trayvon Grimes in addition to Kyle Pitts for the Cotton. And no Dwayne Haskins. And no Dwayne Haskins. What do we have to deal with in these this world? Well, look, that gives that gives me hope that Washington is going to win and the Cowboys don't get the division this week. So Yeah. Ugh. I'm going to be, I, I won't lie, like, I want the Cowboys to tank, but just seeing them on the field with the Eagles, like, it brought out the competitive nature in me, and I, I was really happy they beat them. Oh, well, trust me, you made, uh, you made Doug Peterson happy, too, because now he can put Carson Wentz back in yeah. and uh, doesn't have to deal with that headache. Yeah, I was, I was also, I, I told Steely this morning uh, on my radio hit with him that, if you take anything away from this game, it has to be the Jalen Hurts factor because everybody that's played the Cowboys this season has been great offensively, and uh, then Jalen Hurts does that. Yuck. 
he started so good too. Like his numbers yeah. were really good uh, early in that game, and it just it fell apart against yeah. Yikes! Pretty Yikes. Uh, mediocre defense, but all right. Well, yeah. Well, let's uh, let's get out of here before Kyle Traska opts out in two minutes, and then right, just everything is just thrown to thrown yeah thrown to hell. Get this thing posted asap. So at least I can say, hey, when I got it posted, Kyle Trask was still on board. It's fake news. Those guys are playing. Right. All right, buddy. Always appreciate it, my friend. All right. See you. That is Aaron Davis on the Colby Daniels podcast. This podcast is presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products. You can visit the website, abotanicalcompany.com. Use the code Colby Show, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W, Colby Show, for 15% off of your online order. So easy to check out, uh, abotanicalcompany.com, Colby Show, for 15% off your order. Um, Again, awesome that we're able to save you guys some money this holiday season. All right, that is it for this episode. Um, Again, as I record this thing, at this point, Trayvon Grimes opts out. Kadarius Toney opts out. Don't know anything about Kyle Trask to this point, and we'll see what happens by the time Wednesday rolls around. But uh, at least as of now, the plan is 5 o'clock pregame show for Mike Steely and I two hours before the kickoff of the Cotton Bowl on Wednesday afternoon. So look forward to seeing you guys there. Tomorrow we will preview Oklahoma State-Miami as they get ready for that Cheez-It Bowl matchup tomorrow afternoon. I think that's a 4.30 start. So we'll have that tomorrow afternoon for you as well. Everybody have a great day. Stay safe. And I will talk to you tomorrow. Podcast is over.